0: Hello and welcome back to the Wyoming Colorado Springs podcast. Today we have Derek and Chloe Mack again from Circuit Riders in Huntington Beach, California. Today they'll be continuing to talk about freedom and identity in Christ. Let's jump right in. Everybody knows the concept, hopefully. Uh, Can you imagine, I'm a Cowboys fan, so you can can throw rocks at me later, but um, I'm a Cowboys fan. Can you imagine if you went to a Cowboys game with 90,000 other people, you're sitting there in the stadium, first play is about to happen, the offense is in the huddle, they break and they run to the sidelines. Okay, it's kind of weird. Get back out on the field. Quarterback calls the play. Break. Run to the sidelines. Now, after a while, you'd be like, this is strange. They're supposed to play the game. They're supposed to run the call. They're supposed to take action. Yet isn't that what happens on most Sundays in America? The pastor, ready? Here we go. We're going to call this play. You're supposed to do this this week. And then what happens? Break. We run to the sidelines. Your life is supposed to be a torrent of action filled surrender and servitude to Jesus. You are not supposed to show up once. How boring is that, anyways? I want you to think do you really think Jesus died so that however many American Christians there are could show up once a week? I find, I find that a tragedy, ultimately. Did you know that there's 3.1 billion people across the globe that have never heard the gospel? Right now, right now, there's about 7,000 people groups, um, most of them with other languages in this 1040 window. Probably you guys could check it out on the map there, but that's pretty much North Africa, into the Middle East, Southeast Asia. Some of the places you're going, you'll be surrounded by unreached people groups. People, people who have never heard the gospel and have no opportunity to hear the gospel because there is no present church or gospel witness. And, and we live in a day in a society where 75% of the American church doesn't even know what an unreached people group is. Did you know that 80% of Americans could not tell you what the Great Commission is? You see it's it, your your motives and what you're motivated by or the things that motivate you will usually come out in your life in some way shape or form. The things that are most important to you will usually manifest. I could tell you what's most important to you based off of what you look at on your phone. If you took out on your took out your phone right now and I got to saw your see your screen time, I would be able to tell you easily what's most important to you. And so the American church doesn't deem it of most importance that we get the gospel out to people. I want to read you a statistic real quick. For every one missionary, there's 71,000 irreligious people, so atheists. For every one missionary, there's 60,000 tribal people. For every one missionary, there's 179,000 Hindus. For every one missionary, there's 260,000 Buddhists. For every one missionary, there's 405,000 Muslims. If you're a Muslim in this world, you have a 90% chance that you will never meet a Christian. Does that make any of your blood boil a little bit? Remember, we're talking about passivity this morning, and I want to motivate you to have a great vision for your life. If your vision is small, if it's low for your life, you won't take much action. Right now, there's 40 million people trapped In modern-day slavery, there are more slaves on the planet today than there ever have been in human history. Most of them in sex trafficking or forced labor or something of that sort. Does that make your blood boil? Or does it make you go, okay, this DTS is a good experience. I'm going to do it for six months, and then I'm going to go back to school and do my own thing. You know, this idea that we as American Christians can sit around the Bible and say to ourselves, I think I can tell Jesus what I think about stuff. You know, how many of you have ever called Jesus king? Anybody done that? Has anybody ever called Jesus Lord? If you've called him that, would your life reflect Jesus your Lord? Now, remember, Lord is this term where you're going to submit to what this person says. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Therefore, go. What do you do in your mind? It's for someone else? It's for the special Christian, for the special missionary? It's for the, it's for the whoever, the wherever? I, I want you to think about this. If you or if someone were to say, it's the pastor's job, those 3.1 billion people, or it's another YWM base's job, or it's someone else's job that's not Christianity at all, Some of you probably aren't called to the mission field long term. You might be called to the business world. And you know what I say to the people who are called to the business world in this room? Make millions of dollars, seriously, make millions of dollars and give most of it away. I've been around so many people where I I had this friend, kind of doesn't follow Jesus anymore, but Uh, He told me he was going to go make money, and as soon as he started to make money, he uh, forgot about the mission world and forgot about wanting to give it away. It's such a, a both sides are dangerous, where you can sit in the mission world, and you can go, there's all these needs, and you can wait for someone else to take the first step. What are the steps that the Lord wants you to take on your outreaches, on your DTS right now, that set you up for 60 years of a life Filled with action, no passivity. I want you to think about this too for a second. The book of Acts is probably the most compelling form of Christianity that could ever have been written about. There isn't anything more exciting and thrilling than to read the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, there wasn't a like, long discipleship program between salvation and people selling houses for one another. Can you imagine going to church service next week? Pastor's like, okay, next week's house selling week. Bring your friends. How many people showing up? If we got hot dogs, will show up though. Can you imagine you go home, you're like, okay, this crazy guy came to my DTS, told me sh- I should be a missionary the rest of my life, that I should take action the rest of my life. Um, I'm going to go to North Africa. The only problem is I don't have any money. Youth with no money. That's the organization I joined. And so before you can finish your offering sermon to your church, someone in the back stands up and says, I'll sell my house for you. There wasn't a long discipleship program between salvation and selling houses for one another. Why? Why? Because they saw that when Jesus said stuff like, John 13, a new command I give you. Love one another just as I have loved you. We go, let's put that on the bathroom wall. Nice little old school house on the hill there. And then we'll put love one another on it. And that's kind of all we do with that. But Jesus is probably giving the most audacious command. How did Jesus love you? Did he love you by giving you a bear hug on your side and saying, love you today, brother. Coffee's at the back. How did he love you? He went to a cross for you. So when Jesus, or or when Peter and Paul, I'm sorry, Peter and John and James are in the upper room and they're going over the teachings and the doctrines and the commands of Jesus and they get to this one, they look at each other and they go, oh, our love for each other has to look like a cross. It can't look superficial. It can't look like a smile, hi, love you from across the room, and then go gossip about you later. It we have to change our mindset. The cross is not the logo of a religion. He's a Vikings fan. He wore like five different Vikings things yesterday. That's a logo. That hel- on the helmet, there's a logo on it. The cross is not the logo of Christianity. It's atonement to you, and it's a demonstration of how your life is to look. Love is first and foremost about taking responsibility for things that you did not cause. You did not cause a lot of problems today in today's society. You did not wake up one day and, be, and and were this evil and violent person causing all of these different things in society. But will you take responsibility for 40 million people in slavery right now? Will you take responsibility for 3.1 billion people who've never heard the gospel? Think about this for a second. If your boss came to you at your job and said to you, hey, I've got a fun assignment for you, and here's what it is, and when do you think you can get it done? And you replied and said, I think I can get it done in 2,000 years. What would would the boss do to you? They would either fire you or get someone else to do it. We've taken 2,000 years to obey the most simple command, go. Your life should not be a life of a snail. Your life should not be a life of sta- staying. Chloe mentioned Keith Green last night. He, he's, I, I don't, I'm just going to repeat what he said. I, I, I would probably have to do more thinking about it to see if how deeply I believe this. But he said 99% of Christians should be going. Probably about 1% should be staying. And I, I don't know if we'll show the videos of some of the stuff Keith Green would say. We should, we should. I mean, they're so powerful. He, if you don't know who Keith Green was, he was a worship leader. He changed the worship industry, the, the music industry, Christian music. It was really hymns up to that point in the 1970s. The Jesus movement begins, and then he becomes this kind of famous evangelist, musicianary type of guy. And then he connects with Lauren Cunningham, and, and then they start to do different missions, gatherings where he would lead, lead and then he would preach and all this different stuff. And he was just so radical. And so this man. he says other stuff like, you want to know, you, I can't say all this stuff because it just will get me off track. But, but let, let me leave you guys with this on Keith Green. is He died at 28 years old in a plane crash. And his wife, he, it's really sad actually, he died at 28 in a plane crash while they were doing this tour. And he died with his two kids in the plane. They died as well. And his wife, Melody, was pregnant. And while she was pregnant, the first thing she did was she went on a missions trip to Cambodia because that's what she wanted to do is to grieve while she was, you know, taking care of people. And then she came back and she went to Lauren Cunningham and she said, we need to, play, we need to continue this tour and we need to play Keith Green's videos at these tours. And they saw 100,000 people sent to the mission field. There's a little bit of a difference between that and what we're presently experiencing in the West. Let me tell you this, too. It is not based off of what you look like that you can take action. It is not based off of your gender that you can take action. It is not based off of what your parents told you about your life that you can take action. It was so funny, guys. I I told you guys yesterday, I was this drug addict and all this different stuff, and my parents were quite mad at me throughout my whole life, and blah, blah, blah. I became a missionary, and they got more mad at me. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm following Jesus now. It's not based off of any of those things. It's based off your yes. It's based off of your ability to get up every morning and focus and, and set your eyes to other people and the needs around you. If you never felt like you could speak, well, today's your day. If you never felt like you could Lead worship, maybe some of you are called to that. Well, today's your day. If you never felt like you could take action because you didn't know what to do, I would rather you be the guy or the lady who has all the passion in the world and doesn't know what to do with it than have no passion and all the ideas because the ideas are never going to get done without that passion, that ability to say yes every single day. Choosing costly action, an action-filled life, has three things you have to say no to first. Number one is selfishness. Do you guys find it funny that we've invented phones with front, front-facing cameras where we, where we take photos? And then we edit those photos to make them look better than we do. And then we post those photos for everybody to see. And then we tell people what we think about stuff. Anybody find it weird? Can you, ima- can you imagine, like, how many of you are 90s kids in here? Anybody a '90s kid? Okay, you remember your mom used to put like photos on the mantle and on the coffee table. Uh, can you imagine walking to someone's house with their Instagram page looking like what your mom used to do? And you walk in, you oh wow, just a photo of you and an- another photo of you and another photo of you and another photo of you and another fo- and photo 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 after one after the other is you. Did you know in 2017 Americans spent 971 dollars a day? I mean, $971 on Christmas Day alone. 51% of the world lives on $2 a day or less, which means that if you worked every day and made those $2, that you would make less than Americans spend on one day of the year. Any form of Christianity that can look at the world around you and it be more about you and narcissistically looking at everybody and wanting them to see you rather than giving yourself away. What can you give yourself away to? Ladies, Chloe mentioned it yesterday. This girl going to this orphanage and she was so consumed with the need around her that she forgot about her pant size. And she forgot about what her hair color was and all this different stuff. It's not that you shouldn't take care of that and blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. The ultimate point is this. Stop focusing on ourselves. Focus on other people. It's hard. Why? Because you go around and you'll drive past billboards, and what do the most billboards say? This is the vacation that you deserve. And here's what you need to make your life better. And everything around you is built on making you think about what your needs are and what your wants are and what you think about things. You guys have the opportunity on your DTS and and throughout your life to make a statement to your generation that it's not about me any longer. As Paul said, Christ died so that we would stop living for ourselves. Second thing that we need to rid ourselves of is laziness. And laziness is just the ability to delay. And I'm going to attach these two together, laziness and delay. These are the last things I was going to say. You cannot delay in the call of God on your life. Joy Dawson, she was one of the founders of YWAM, and she said this statement. And Chloe and I actually met, uh, kind of started liking each other at a Joy Dawson meeting. She preached for six hours straight. It was intense. Um, But it was powerful. And she said this. She said, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Where are the areas in your life that you have been delaying? I want you to think about this for a second. How many of you, you know, are you guys going to have like some crazy prophetic person come in at some point or whatever? Any speakers that are going to, okay, maybe, okay, whatever. You know, a lot of us, like we want prophetic words and all this different stuff and... It's really dangerous to want prophetic words without obeying the last thing that God told you. Here's why. Because usually what's going to happen is you're either not going to get any more words about your future, about your life, or worse, you're going to get false words about your future that make you feel good about stuff. And you're always going to be searching so that you can feel good about something. What's the last thing that God's told you? If you don't have anything that God has spoken to you, then this is where you should start. What are the, the simple things here that you can obey today, like how can you lay down your life for the person sitting next to you? That would be a good way to exit passivity and enter into this joyful, obedient, surrendered yes. How many of you have a messy roommate? Don't raise your hands. Just give me a little like. <laughs> and then other people are looking back at him and going, he's messy too. Um, just give me a little wink if there might be one person who's messy in here. Okay. You know, we had this saying in the early days of circuit riders that you weren't, to, uh, you weren't to get mad at your buddy just because they didn't know how to make their bed properly. We had this statement, if you can make your bed, you can raise the dead. I don't really know where that came from in the Bible, but I'm um, still trying to search for it. But the p- principle is this is that if you will be faithful in little things, God will give you much. Oftentimes we're like, I want to obey the big thing. I want to climb Mount Everest. I want to do this. I want to go there. I want to do that thing, right? But then we can't even, we wait to do our taxes. Or we get mad at our buddy when, you know, they get a little crumb on their face. And look at this guy. He's such a slob or or this, that, or the other thing, right? And we're not able to serve in the small and the little things, the quote-unquote little things, and so we wonder why that Jesus doesn't always give us those big things. You start with the person next to you. You start with taking action with them. You start with taking action when you go to Chipotle. You guys have the best YWAM base, by the way. You have a Chick-fil-A. You have a Chipotle. You have all this different stuff right there. And so whenever you go to those places, you start right there. And you do what I said last night. You look at your buddy and you give him a little wink and you go to the cash register and say, hey man, my friend has something he wants to tell you. (laughs) It's a perfect way because you're awkwardly sitting there and you have to say something. You start with the person in front of you and then God will show you those faithful steps and little did you know, you would end up on a stage one day preaching. Guys, do you think that I sat in high school after doing all the drugs I did that I would ever imagine that I would ever be speaking to 30,000 people in Kansas City in a stadium. Not a shot in my mind. Honestly, I took public speaking my junior year of high school. I got a C. I hated speaking. I got one A on one essay, not on one essay, on one speech, which was when they had you give like a speech about a movie and I did Forrest Gump, and I did his voice, and everybody laughed, and I got an A. And that was it, right? And so I never thought I would speak publicly. None of the things. But I st- when I became a Christian, I started, okay, i got to serve the people next to me. Next to me. i got to do these little things well, and then God will elevate, and God will move you, and he will place you where you need to be placed so that the high vision that you could have for your life could actually be fulfilled. So we're going to – can you come up here? Are you ready? Okay. We're going to go through this, these checkboxes. These are a little bit more specific when it comes to passivity. These are a little bit more specific when it comes to passivity than, than everything I just said was. Um, I wish we had the manuals with everybody so they could read it too, but it's all good.
1: Um, okay, we're going to get wild. Buckle up. I need some volunteers for some Bible verses. James 4.17 You can do um, Proverbs 24, and you will do Proverbs 10.4. Let's do one more. How about that? Um, Colossians 3.23. Right here. Colossians 3.23. And when you got it, just stand up and burst it out loud and proud. 17. Go for it. Yes. Very good. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, 20 verse 4. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Love it. Was that it, right? Was there anybody else? Um I'm gonna read one more. Hardworking farmers are the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will give you understanding. All right. What we're gonna do is yes, ma'am. Yes, we got James 4, verse 17, Proverbs 20, verse 4, Proverbs 10, verse 4, Colossians 3, 23. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a little class vulnerability together. And this is literally my favorite part of coming to DTS. I would have just come for just this moment. I am going to read symptoms of passivity. And if something applies to you, I want you to let out a check. I want you to groan. I want you to just, you know, show your classmates that you're resonating with it. Can we practice? Perfect. Very good. Okay. So the first... There's a few subjects. Passivity is a lack of initiation. Are we ready? Here we go. Symptom one. I walk in passivity when I fail to initiate conversations with others, always waiting for someone to come to me. I am passive in building relationships. I do not call others. I do not, I do not call people back when they call me. I do not initiate activities with others. At church or social gatherings, I tend to hang back until someone talks to me. I do not affirm others. I withhold words of blessing. <laughs> We're all scared of that one. <laughs> uh, I do not initiate growth in my relationship with the Lord. I cannot seem to motivate myself to read, pray, or worship. I feel no urgency or hunger in my relationship with God. I feel content with where I'm at spiritually. I want to grow in the Lord and I know what to do, but I don't do it. Yeah. I know I need someone to pray with me for freedom, but I never get around to ask. (laughs) conversations with others about God do not motivate me I do not initiate in serving others because I figure someone else has got it mm. I do not believe I can change the way I am I often let others do what I could do myself all right are we ready for subject two? how are we feeling so far okay this is great right passivity is a form of independence and it leads to isolation turn to your buddy and say isolation oh yeah yeah passivity is a form of independence and leads to isolation here we go I resist interdependence no you have to repeat (laughs) very good (laughs) she's ready (laughs) I do not ask help from church body staff members. I do not offer help to others. I see myself as more of a private Christian. I am critical of the way things are done in my church or here at YWAM, and I doubt, I have doubts about leadership. It seems best for me to keep my distance. tend to observe the activities of other wait i tend to observe the activities of others i rarely feel motivated to participate i feel like i don't need anyone else i feel unworthy to be in relationships with others all right subject 3 are we hanging in here we've just got a few more passivity is a form of resistance and rebellion say rebellion <laughs> All right, we all got a little touch of rebellion. Don't be afraid. Here we go. I resist God's forgiveness by not taking the authority Jesus has given me over sin. I resist obedience to the Lord by allowing sin to remain in my life. I do not seek the place of repentance. I have become familiar with and indifferent towards sin in my life. We're doing great. We're doing great. <laughs> I do not believe it would be any good to take authority over the enemy, so I rarely pray. What they mean by this one, I love this one. My dad wrote these. So you can guess where he got all these ideas from is all this kid's. <laughs> this one's so good. I don't believe it would do any good to take authority over the enemy, so I rarely pray. It's true that these books were written off of prayer times from For, your brothers. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so inner darkness revealed. Um, This is so I do not believe it would do any good to take authority over the enemy. So I rarely pray. The attitude of this is when you're struggling with something and you go, what even is the point of praying? I've tried. It doesn't work. God doesn't hear my prayers. I don't have the authority that so-and-so does. So you kind of sit in this passive place. Here we go. Next one. I resist receiving the Lord's gifts. I do not believe that God will give me supernatural gifts and use them through me. I am not sure that spiritual gifts are authentic for me today. I expect that others will receive spiritual gifts, but not me. (laughs) I resist leadership positions because I don't want that responsibility or pressure. (laughs) I do not like to do what everyone else does. I'm my own person. Gen Z. Okay, it's not like me to get more involved. I do not want to be pressured. Um, It's not like me to be a leader. Or we were kind of ready to do this one. Oh my, here we go. If fill in the blank, if fill in the blank person would just shut up and let some others talk, lead, initiate once in a while, then maybe I'd get involved. So it's like if maybe if the staff here did a better job then I'd maybe I'd join in. Okay. <laughs> Next we got we got we got a few more. Are we good? Should we do a few more? Okay, passivity allows <laughs> you are like 50% check right now. Okay, passivity allows self-pity to remain, say self-pity. Here we go. There's only a few here. I am familiar with feelings like fear and rejection, and I tend to believe that I'll always struggle in these areas. I am comfortable with the way I am. I am a victim. (laughs) Nobody's going to say that this one, okay? I am a victim. I don't know how not to be a victim. (laughs) Others are wrong to push me to become someone I am not. How many of you guys have heard this one before? I'm just not an evangelist. I just could never. That's not me. I blame others for the way that I am. It's always somebody else's fault. Here we go. Next subject. Passivity is about being too comfortable. Say comfortable. I allow myself to be comfortable with where I am spiritually. I'm all right with my walk with God. I allow myself to be comfortable with where I am emotionally. I have always struggled with depression, insecurity, shyness, fear, loneliness. This is the way things are. So why would I worry about it? Why would I try to find a cure? Guys, literally, I'm getting my master's in counseling. So I say this with actual study underneath my belt. We are literally having a really wild movement take over the world where mental illness and these things are becoming people's identities, where in the past, if you struggle with depression and anxiety, uh, any sort of these issues, you would look at it like something you want to get rid of, something you want healing from. And we're struggling in Gen Z going, no, I'm just, you know, anxious girl, eh. And it's like your TikTok, it's like your TikTok personality when it's like, that is not how God has designed you to be and you can be healed. I allow myself to be comfortable with where I am physically. I don't care what others think of my appearance. its <laughs> Is it too bad if they do not like what... Oh, wait, wait. Let me restart this. I allow myself to be comfortable with where I am physically. I do not care what others think of my appearance. It is too bad if they don't like the, what they see. I don't need them anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> passivity, perpetuate lies and deceptions yeah, He's like, I <laughs> resonate Okay, passivity, perpetuates lies and deceptions Say deceptions Alright, we're wrapping up these other last ones This is part of my personality I am not meant to step out and initiate Or I would feel like doing it I will be a failure if I try to initiate This is just not me There is nothing wrong with me, so I don't need to seek uh, change or freedom. At least there's comfort in (laughs) self-pity. I do not need anyone to tell me how to act. Okay, we're done. (laughs) So that's it. We're done with class. We're going to go now. No. Um, I love these check boxes because they kind of bring it to reality. Like we all struggle with these things, right? It's kind of funny. We can look at ourselves and be like, what the heck? Passivity will steal your inheritance. Passivity will steal your inheritance. You will most likely never feel like doing what God is calling you to do most of the time. That's like 10% of life is doing something you feel really excited about. But when it comes to your calling... In life, livelihood, taking out the trash for your buddy, making your bed, putting your pants on, whatever the deal is, you might not feel so excited about doing it. So walking in the opposite spirit. Should I read, the, should I read a few things here? Let us do it. We're fine. It is important to realize that we are praying spiritual warfare prayers. Say warfare. Spiritual warfare prayer can often be loud and forceful. Wars are not fought in silence. Imagine Normandy in complete silence. It just doesn't happen. Is there such a thing as a silent battleship? Do you know of a tank that fires weapons in silence? Can a bomb detonate without an explosion? This is why part of basic training of this class is learning to pray spiritual warfare prayers. Your greatest weapon in this battle is repentance. The deeper your repentance, the greater the advancement you will take. Passivity is a spirit that wants to keep your mouth shut and your influence held captive. It does not want you to rise up. It does not want you to pray and discover the authority that Jesus has given you. It does not want you to radically bless those around you. Jesus wants you to discover the wonderful gift of repentance as described in Scripture.
0: She said something here that you guys got to catch because in the West, right, like, Men, we've all been a part of these, you know, self-help groups where, you know, we're trying to overcome pornography. And so what do we do as men? We get together and we go, did you struggle this week? Yeah. You struggle this week? Yeah. And you give each other a hug and you leave. I'll see you next week. Whereas true repentance, biblically, is not just words said out loud to someone. To God, God, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. True repentance is saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm willing to chuck my computer out the window to get free of this. That's the difference, is you being gut-level honest, like, God, I need change in my life, not just the teacher's telling me I need change, so I should probably enter in, and I'm in the class, and so I kind of just got to play along a little bit. But how free do you want to be? How much do you actually want to overcome this? You know, I'm going to speak to the men here especially. You are called to lead your future families. You are. That's a massive responsibility. I don't want another man to have a conversation about Paul's Bible verses about submission until they first understand that you have to take responsibility. And the only thing that a woman wants to submit to would be someone who's willing to every corner take responsibility for their life, for the woman's life, for the children's lives. And so do you think that's a, that there can be any passivity in that assignment? See, I don't know if any of you were like, my dad, my dad was like, go to work, come home, sit, watch Fox News. Fox News. Weekends, go to my soccer game, come home, watch college football. Sundays, go to church, come home, watch the NFL. What does that, that do to the young man? That makes you go, okay, that's what it means to be a man, is just to go to work and act like you took responsibility there. But as a man, you don't get a moment off i'm telling you guys like this isn't this is something you have to enter into is that you at every moment of your life have to take responsibility this is why this is so important i would i would just love to do a case study one day she's the counselor i'm not but i would be intrigued to see in most divorce cases within the church how many of the women would say my husband wasn't doing this and they weren't willing to do this, and they came home, and this is all they wanted to do. And what they're saying is passivity. That, that was the testimony of my parents' divorce was my mom was always so upset because my dad didn't want to take responsibility for things in his life. This is absolutely essential to your future marriage. I know it's intense, but it's true. And I want to hit
1: on this too with everybody is there's this interesting thing my dad starts hitting on is not participating because we don't feel worthy. And for some reason, whenever we struggle with self-hatred or unworthiness complex, I think there's like special terms for it now. I don't know, imposter's condition, sympt- whatever it is, <laughs> syndrome, I don't know. Listen, whenever we struggle, it's kind of like a cute struggle. Girls, you know what I'm talking about. Self-hatred is kind of cute. Like, your buddy compliments you, and you're like, oh, no, not me. And you're like, chuck it away. Uh, it's kind of, like, cute and funny. But what, the, what, what we're hitting at here is unworthiness, saying, God can't use me like that. I, I'm not worthy to participate. I'm not a leader. Like, to look at yourself and say, you're not a leader. I'm sorry. No one in this room is not a leader. Every single one of you are. That's right. But this unworthiness is actually tied with Passivity. And it's actually tied with rebellion. We're not in agreement with what the Lord has said over us. So literally my story, uh, and then we're going to pray here, is I really struggle with self-hatred like I hit on yesterday with, with original design. And not just about how I look, but everything. And I would get hit super hard, especially at night. Just like my, I'd go through my thinking and like I'd start spiraling out of control. I suck. I'm the worst. I disappoint this person, this person, this person, blah, blah, blah. I'd go on and on. So when I got married, it was great. God gave me a, a chaplain right there in the bed and I would wake him up. i go, Dad, I'm struggling with self-hatred. Pray for me. I can't sleep. So i would be like, in Jesus' name, we rebuke self-hatred. And night after night until one night... The day before my birthday, this is like in our first year marriage. I wake him up. I go, I'm having something to pray for me. And he goes, no, I'm not praying for you. And I was so pissed. I got out of the bed. I went and sat in the garage. I was like, he won't pray for me. That's his job. That's why I married him to pray for me. <laughs> and why wouldn't he pray for me? We discussed. I came back and got cooled down. And was like, why are you praying for me? because it it's rebellion. Because you repent every night for this. But you really won't get rid of it. You really don't hate self-hatred. Some of you are okay with feeling unworthy. And you're going to go through life feeling unworthy and not accomplish what God has for you. It's going to steal your lunch. So you got to get a little fight in you. Like, I hate feeling unworthy. I hate passivity. I will not. Some of you, what Derek's talking about, their dad. Some of you, your dad's that times 100. you got to have a little gumption and go, I will not be what my family was. I am starting a new legacy. So are we ready to pray? What we're going to do is, let's stand. These are the things we're walking in the opposite spirit. We are going to, just say yes and amen if you agree with this, initiate conversations, activities with others. Go to others and not wait for them to come to us. Even when you don't feel like it, you're taking authority over sin patterns such as self-pity, victimization. We will not let sin remain. We have authority. We will use it. We will do things when we don't feel like doing them. It's the whole point of walking in the opposite spirit. Here's the lie. If you do not like it, you don't have anything to do with it. But you, uh, what? (laughs) Do what you know to do, whether you feel like it or not. I will go out of my way to bless people. I will begin to cry out to God for great hunger and to grow spiritually. All right, this is what we're going to do. I want you to think of a few of those check boxes that really resonated with you. Can you guys remember any of them? Yeah, let's do it. We'll do a general prayer and then you're going to divide up with your buddy and go buck wild. Is that good? All right. So, why don't you guys repeat after me? If you want to stand on your chairs, you can join these guys and stand on your chairs. That's awesome. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) It's empowering. All right. Repeat after me. In Jesus' name, name. I repent repent. for for passivity. For rebellion, rebellion. being a victim, victim. self-pity, I repent for waiting waiting. and thinking everybody else has got it, it. I hate, I hate passivity. passivity, I will not be marked by passivity, I receive your forgiveness. All right, we're going to rebuke. Let's go out. In Jesus' name, Jesus I, rebuke, I rebuke passivity, passivity rebellion. rebellion. Get, out Get, out Get out of my life. Get out of my life. I declare I, declare, I, will, initiate. I will initiate. I will radically initiate. I will, radically initiate. I, will be I will be uncomfortable. I will do what you've asked me to do. In Jesus, name. In Jesus' name. While we wait for these pictures, I want a popcorn, 10-second prayer. And if there's something on your heart during this whole passivity worksheet and you're like, okay, I got to go do this, like this is what I need to do today, can you just declare it out loud? All right, guys. We're going to let you have your break, but I do want to just give one piece of nugget wisdom here. Um, If you in this time are like, man, there's some sin in my life I really want to get free of. We keep hitting on pornography. Any sort of addiction. You know, maybe you're video game addicted and you're like Nintendo DS all day. I don't know what it is. (laughs) There's always that guy. Eating disorder, whatever it may be. I want to encourage you that... um, if you, you need accountability in life to get free of something like an addiction, it's real. And I would encourage you, how many of you ever, been, don't raise your hand, but you've been part of accountability group and you go or you have your phone call or whatever and everybody just says, yeah, I did porn again, yeah, I did porn again, yeah, and it kind of gives you like, well, it's okay to struggle, I guess. Your accountability should be a free accountability, meaning they have to have a breakthrough in the thing that you're trying to get breakthrough in. It is not scary to text somebody and say, I did porn and them go, yeah, me too, pal. We're going to get free together. Do you know what I'm saying? But it is scary to text Derek Mack and go, which he has a lot of these guys. (laughs) We get this thing. It's called Covenant Eyes. Do you guys know what Covenant Eyes is? It's a program. It blocks things, whatever. But if you find a way to look at porn, huh? but I got to tell a story, though. We're sleeping one night and phone goes red alert open it up, and it just alerts you right then when the dude's doing porn, just. And it's scary, because Derek will call him right up and go, hey, I just got alerted right now. It only like it's only happened once or twice, but it is disturbing because you wake up and you're like, red alert, what's happening? Anyway, all I'm saying is we're talking, we're talking too, too openly here, but just, this is the only super in-depth moment here. Point is, get accountability, but get free accountability. Get somebody who has breakthrough in the area.
0: Okay, we'll take, how long of a break do you guys usually take? Let's ten, ten, 10 minutes. We're going to preach for 40 minutes straight, and you're going to have a preaching buddy, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. This is our application to passivity, is that you would take action, you'd open your mouth, and you would get in that habit of doing something rather than just taking in information. So, 10-minute break, and then we're going to come back together, and we're going to do some preaching. (laughs) Uh Okay, guys, find your seats, find your seats. I want you to take out your phone or a notepad, and you're going to write something first. You're going to write your testimony, and your testimony, and you're going to write. We're going to practice preaching the gospel today in a kind of three to five minute condensed version, and we want to be able to give you that skill tool so that you can do that on outreach, or you can do it here on your DTS but to so you could feel confident, see, confidence comes when you, how many of you were in sports in some way, shape, or form? What sport did you play? Okay. Were you a good soccer player? Yes, of course he was. Look at him. Um, he looks like Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, imagine, right, you felt more confident while playing when you know you had practice and you were prepared, correct? That's like everything in life. It's hard to have confidence when you go out on the streets preaching the gospel if you're like first thing you do is like you don't know what to do with your hands, and you're like, so, there were two people in a garden, and do you want to be baptized? And you're kind of like, you skip everything. You just don't know what's going on. If you know what to say, you can at least have confidence that you can get the words out. So, we got to start with our testimony, though, because our testimony is the doorway. This is not the gospel, but it is the doorway for someone to be intrigued about what Jesus has done in your life. I want you to write a one, one and a half minute version of your testimony. This might be two or three paragraphs. And here's what I want you to do. If you've ever heard a testimony that's super intense, right? And like 90% of the testimony is about like, when I was six, I started to kill cats. And then when I was 11, I started to kill dogs too. And it just gets so intense that you're like, where, where did Jesus come into this story, right? And so it's important to share what you were like before, but you don't have to go into the super in-depth nature. Sometimes people uh, can get more disturbed by you than they can be encouraged by your testimony if you share a little bit too much of the details. So I want you to write one, one and a half minute testimony. What were you like before? I was depressed. I was suicidal. I was a drug addict. I was whatever, Or if you don't have that crazy testimony, you can share, honestly, this is just as powerful, that I never had those things because Jesus saved me at a young age. And here's what my life has been like since I've followed Jesus. Here are the things that God has transformed me in. So I want you to write one, one and a half minute testimony, and then we're going to preach it to each other. Go for it. You still need a minute? Okay, how many of you are done? Okay, if you're done and your partner is done, then I want you guys to uh, stand up. Go ahead. Stand if you're done. Go, go, go. Let the other people finish. And I want you guys to start preaching, and everybody's going to do this. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to do as if this was live action, as if you don't know who that person is. And here's your opening line. Hi, my name's Derek, and I want to tell you something uh, that changed my life. And jump into your testimony. That's simple. You ever started to do evangelism and you're like, you walk up to someone and you're like, hey, you ever seen the weather? It's just like amazing. And it's just super awkward as you go into it. So it's better just to be normal, straightforward. Hey, man, I saw you and I wanted to share this with you uh, about what Jesus did in my life. So that's your opening line. Hi, my name's Derek. Can I share something with you? The person says yes, and then you jump into your testimony. You ready? Sound good? I'm going to time you guys, and we're going to go for like a minute, minute and a half. It's okay. Yeah, you guys can spread out. You don't have to stay in your chairs. Hi. My name is Derek. Hi. Yeah. Use your own name, though, sadly. You can use my name. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a minute, minute and a half. Once you are finished writing your testimony, you're just going to start. You're going to jump into it. All right, three, two, one. Whoever wants to start, go. Okay, guys. Everyone, have their seats. If you haven't finished, you'll have more time to finish in a minute. We are we are now going to go. We are now going to go speed round on the gospel. Remember, we're going to do. We're going to try to keep this concise to about three to five minutes, so that you could share with anybody on the street or on the plane, or you know, as dialogue happens, you can share more or less is really up to what the Lord's doing in any given situation. So, like I said at the beginning of this, Chloe said this yesterday too as well, is you live in the most biblically illiterate generation ever in human history. Two percent of people have a, and I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to explain this, just assume it means that people don't really read their Bibles, but two percent of people in America have a relationship with the Bible, meaning they read it on a consistent basis. Two percent. So when you mention Abraham, David, Noah, if you ever mention those guys, when you mention people in the Bible, you can't assume anymore that people understand what you're talking about. And so this is why I usually don't start the gospel with, i got to talk about the garden, and i got to talk about Adam and Eve, and then i got to talk about the whole Old Testament, and i got to kind of condense the whole Bible into three minutes. It's super complicated. As well, if you're just some random person on the street and you've never really heard the story of the gospel and you don't really have any context for the Bible, and someone comes up to you and says, can I tell you about Jesus? But then you start with, there were two naked people in a garden and they ate some fruit. Um, it's really not going to connect for them on how that applies to the sin in their life. So I always start this way, Romans 3.23. And This is just simple Romans Road. You can look it up online. Um, I'll probably send something to John here in a second where... Uh, where he can put it in the group so you guys can see this as well. Romans 3:23, I need someone to read that. Can someone take that for me? Okay, you got that. Romans 3:23. Romans 6:23. you got that. Romans 5:8. you got that? Um, and Romans 10:9. You got that. Um, okay, we've got the problem of the gospel. We've got the peril of the gospel. We've got the solution of the gospel, and then we've got the response, our response in the gospel. So, who had Romans 3:23? 3, 3:23? 3, Someone took it? Okay, stand up. Read. Yes. Romans 6:23. Romans 5:8. Romans ten nine. If mouth You'll be okay. We're gonna start with Romans three twenty three. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know when you start talking to someone and you share your testimony. That's why we did that for, first. It's a it's an entryway. I always say this, people. I used to be a drug addict and then I met Jesus. What would be the natural response for someone to go especially in our context of postmodernism, no understanding of truth, no understanding of the Bible, what would someone's natural response to be? You're a drug addict, you met Jesus. Who's that? It immediately leads you into being able to talk about Jesus and what he's done. And Oftentimes when people talk about the gospel, they skimp a little bit on the sin side of things. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In another place in Romans, it says the wages of sin, in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So what you get paid for sinning all the days of your life is what? You go to work every day in America and you get paid what? Dollars. I hope you don't go to your job and get paid in America death like the boss. Could. We have a great deal for you, man. You're going to die at the end of the work day. It's going to be amazing. No, you get paid dollars. It's the it's the natural thing. It's what, that's what happens. It's what you do. It's what you deserve for your labor. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As soon as I finish my testimony and the person wants to go deeper, I say, well, there's a problem. The problem is with you and me that we have sinned. Sinning, now, when we explain sinning, how many of you have ever heard sinning explained like this? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever done these things? Ha-ha, you've confessed to being a lying, thieving, adulterous sinner, right? Ha-ha, got you, right? And people, people understand that people do bad things. No one's going to disagree with you on that. The only difference between this and that is, is oftentimes people can't connect how their bad deeds might actually cause them to inherit God's justice. When you, we have the tendency, right? How many of you have ever done this before? Well, I'm not as bad as that person, right? Has anybody ever done this before? And you look and you're like, well, that lady over there, she slept like 20 guys and, you know, I didn't do that and all this different stuff. And, right, we start to think we're good because we start to compare ourselves to other people. Now, I'm going to talk about God's justice here. Uh, You don't need to say all of this, but you need to have an understanding of it so that you can respond to people when they ask questions. Now, H-E-Double Hockey Sticks is not the most fun thing to talk about, but God's justice is exceedingly important. Aren't you guys glad that we have a God who's just? Meaning every slave owner... Meaning every, meaning the Hitlers, the Pol Pots, the Mao Zedongs, all, all of those, they get justice one day. No one gets away. No, God doesn't sweep sin under the rug of the universe. I mean, over the last two or three years, what's been one of the most common words used in our society is we want justice. Justice is something inherent to humans. We like it. We want it. The only problem is, is what happens when justice meets you at your door? See, we oftentimes think, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Can I just say something about universalism, too, just in in case anybody here dabbles with it at all? It would be a massive bummer if you got to heaven and Hitler was there hanging out with you. Agreed? My first response would be to look at God and go, you're not just. How could you let someone like that inherit righteousness like this? unbelievable it would be an atrocity how many of you this is graphic just, but just go there with me if you got home from your DTS you walked into your house and your family was supposed to be there waiting for you but a guy had entered the house and had killed your whole family and you had wrapped this guy up the cops came they took him to prison and he's there and and he goes to court and and after about six months of trial the judge stands up and says I know this person's guilty but because I'm a loving judge." This man gets to go free. What would you do? That's not just. Justice is exceedingly important. And because we think, I helped old ladies cross the street, I'm not as bad as Hitler, therefore I'm good. No, you're not going to be compared to Hitler or Mao Zedong on that day. You're going to be compared to Jesus Christ. And that's the standard right there. The standard isn't how bad people are. It's how good he is. God is just. And you've sinned. And it doesn't matter how great or small you're... Guys, if on these screens right here, we could take every secret action you've ever done and every secret thought that you've had that you wish you could have done, got to play it on the screen over here. Would anybody in this room, according to our own judgments, be considered good? There ain't one of us in here who would want that to happen. We all understand this. Everybody knows that even on our own terms, we wouldn't measure up. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, sin, just real quick. Sin is not just bad deeds. That's a symptom. The fruit is what Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2 says, be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked. For my people have committed two evils, two evils only. That's a pretty astonishing statement for Jeremiah to say. There's only two sins that the people have committed of his day. Just so you know, in Jeremiah's day, they were sacrificing, the Israelites were sacrificing their own children to a God called Molech. And what they would do is they would bring their firstborn and they would throw him into this fire in front of this idol called Molech. And so for Jeremiah to sit there and say, there's only two evils is pretty astonishing. Here are the two two evils. My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves cisterns that can hold no water. Sin starts with where you think you can be satisfied. Did you hear that? Sin starts with where you think you will find your joy. This is exactly what happened to Eve and Adam in the garden. She looked at the fruit, and what did she say? It looks good. Doesn't that where, isn't that where most sin starts? It starts with desire. It starts with you want, what, with what you want. And what Jeremiah is saying is they've forsaken me, the thing that actually can satisfy, a cistern that has water, a fountain of living water, and they've hewn for themselves cisterns that can't hold any water, money, sex, whatever it might be for you, or what it might be for those people out there, Though it, you know, you can take a good thing and make it extremely sinful. Sex is actually a good thing in marriage. But you can take it and you can corrupt it and you can make it your idol. That's what Jeremiah is saying. You can hew for yourselves, cisterns. so, when you tell people that they're sinners, you're not telling them, hey, you've just done a couple bad things. You've actually forsaken why you are living you have forsaken why you are on this planet and you've chosen your own path. That's the essence of sin right there. Not just, did you lie one time when you were in second grade? Do you guys understand this? Stand up. We're going to go 30 seconds real quick. I gave you an ultimate explanation. You're not going to be able to say that. You're not going to be able to remember all of that and be able to say that to people. All you're saying to people is after they say, who's Jesus? You're able to enter in and bring them the gospel, and the gospel starts with, hey, you and me have a problem. The problem is we both sinned. We're sinners. So can you guys go there just for a second? Okay, 30 seconds. I want you to share. Simple as can be, Romans 3.23, the wages, sorry, what does it say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And this creates a problem because God has justice. Can you guys go there for a minute? All right, 30 seconds, and then we're going to switch. I'm going to time you. you. guys ready? Want one person to raise their hand? Okay, whoever did not raise their hand goes first. All right, three, two, one. No, no intros, guys. Just go straight in. No awkwardness. Just jump right in. Three, two, one, go. Okay, pause, pause. We're going to start over now. Next, next thing is because we're sinners, God has justice. And okay, that's fine. That's fine. You get to do it again now. You get to do it better. You can redo. Fun. How exciting. Because we're sinners, God has justice, which means each one of us gets paid with what we deserve, which is sadly death. Simple to say. If you if you already did it all in 30 seconds, redo and get a little bit more wild. And, and always, guys, if you don't feel like you're hitting it, pause, deep breath, restart. It's okay to restart. Everybody, t- give me a little smile. It's okay to restart. Good. All right. All right. Person who went first last time goes second this time. Three, two, one, go. Okay, pause, pause, pause. All right, have your seats. I'm going to go just another minute here. Another minute or so. Don't be so literal with me. Um, Romans 5.8. So we've got the problem, sin. We've got the peril, God's justice. But then we have the solution, the cross. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, guys, You can be simple with the gospel, um, and it is exceedingly powerful, even if you just say the words. People will respond. It always happens. But how many of you would like it if your future spouse could write you something that was deeply meaningful to you instead of just every morning saying, I love you. You're good to look at. It's, It's fun to be around you. But if you could find words to express how much you feel about that person it takes a little bit more thought and a little bit depth a little bit more depth so with a lot of things i'm saying right now you're going to have to go on your own time and think about these things for more but here's the one thing if you need to be pa- that you need to be passionate about in the gospel it's the cross this b- verse says Romans 5:8 Christ died for you while you were his enemies now in Romans 5, it talks about some would even die for a righteous man. You, you would find, right? Some of you in this room, if you're passionate enough, would die for a good cause. We see that. We see people around the world that that they, if they believe in a good cause, you'll find people that will even give their lives for it. But how many of you would die for prostitute? How many of you would die for a murderer? How many of you would let's get even more controversial, how many of you would go to a prison and die for a rapist? Probably none of you. Actually, I know none of you because when it's easy to be ethereal in here and say, would you die? And you go, well, I feel like, you know, I'm a good Christian, so I might do that. No. Go to a prison and say, okay, you can take this man's place on death row. You do it? No. None of you would do it. And so the idea that Christ died for you while you were his enemies is kind of like a World War I analogy where they had the trenches and arms were put up both ways and bombs were going off and it's as if Jesus came out of his trench, walked across the way, disarmed everybody's unbelief, opened up his hands and said, look what I've done for you. That's the essence of the cross is that, that God became a man. Once again, I said this yesterday, which is just astonishing how, how do you fit a nuclear bomb inside that metal shell? How do you fit a redwood tree inside of a little flower pot? God became a man, and the very people that he created, can you imagine Jesus forming Pilate in his mother's womb? Or the Pharisees in their mother's womb? And yet he, he made wood, he made trees, and yet there he is, hung on a tree, Can you imagine? you got to find words to talk about the love of God that goes beyond cliche. The cross isn't just something else. It's the epicenter of human history. It's the very place where you find your significance. It's the very reason why you can sit in this room and you can find joy and your life has meaning is because of what Jesus did on that cross. No cross, no life. You find life from it. His wounds. So, Let's stand one more time. And I don't care if you don't know what to say super extravagantly or you can't find the words What? At least be passionate for this next 30 seconds to a minute when you're saying that God loved you and gave himself for you on a tree. So, Romans 5 eight God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Raise your hand. Okay, that person's going first this time. <laughs> All right, three, two, one, go. Okay, pause. We're going to end class here. Um, we're going to finish some of our preaching. We don't have enough time. We're going to finish uh, at the beginning of next class. We've got one more little segment to go through in the gospel, and then you're going to give, like, to your partner, like a three to five minute version, where you combine everything, your testimony, all of these segments of the gospel, and then they're going to respond and they're going to be born again right in front of your eyes. It's going to be incredible. Um, but that's what we're going to do to start the set, uh, the second session today. So, Lord, we bless you. We thank you for this morning, and God, we ask that all all passivity, every ounce of it remaining in our lives. We just give you permission to confront us and bring these things up. We don't care if the person who's bringing up the issues in our lives has bad breath. They got some stuck in their teeth. They got their own issues. Lord, we want to be free more than we want to look at other people and say, they can't bring that to me. Lord, we want to be free. So Lord, confront us this week. Continue to confront us throughout this DTS. We want to be free individuals operating and moving with you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. in summer